It's 6.27pm. And welcome to the Pompey Politics Podcast. I'm Ian Tiny Morris. And I'm Simon Sansbury. So, here we are, the end of another week. There's been some football-y things going on. I don't know quite what. Yes, football-y things indeed. I believe we are led to believe by those in the know and passionate about the game that it's coming home. It's coming home. Well, I hope football it, is coming home. I hope it follows quarantine restrictions and it got a return ticket. Yes, almost certainly. But uh, no, no great week for the footballists. I believe Tuesday England beat Germany in the knockout stages of the tournament for the first time in. 50 something years so the last time was 1966 in the world cup final they then cruised by ukraine yesterday which i think means that russia will probably annex it and we'll have to play russia next but no uh, we played denmark on tuesday who rather spite i think they spitefully knocked the welsh out so there you go that's football news on portsmouth politics which let's be fair yeah, with my no, non-love of football and your absolute bafflement about any sport at all, you, our listeners might not have expected such how, an how in-depth you? analysis. Yeah, well, that's about as in-depth as it goes. Thankfully, the analysis on other parts of the show will be more in-depth. Yes, indeed. Indeed. So, so Tuesday. Tuesday, yeah. yes. Tuesday, so the things that we're looking at, this week, uh, there was a planning meeting, a planning committee meeting at Portsmouth City Council that took place on Tuesday, the 29th of June. And of course, we'll then come to talking about the Batley and Spend by election, which took place on Thursday. Do you think it's culturally inappropriate to, to adopt a slightly northern accent when saying Batley and Spend? Um, probably, yeah. But yeah. you don't normally worry about offending people casually. Um, How dare you, sir? Um, so yes, so yeah, let's let's crack straight. In. So, among the things that were brought up at the planning meeting on on Tuesday, which was chaired by uh, by Councillor Lee Hunt, um, chaired actually in the council chamber, um, because as as um, as we all know, that all all council meetings can have to take place uh, physically in person now. They can't um, you can't have people zooming in um, anymore. So. Um, yeah, so that took place in the council chamber with Lee Hunt in the in the big chair, as it were. Um, lots of things actually on the agenda, but the item that headed up um, headed up the meeting was to discuss the proposal for a multi-storey car park um, at the Park and Ride um, site in Tipner. Um, Indeed. Yes. Um, and there were a couple actually of instances of HMOs, so we we, we thought we'd um, we thought we'd cover those. Um, as well. So the car park. How sexy can you make a car park, basically? Well, doesn't this cut to the heart of one of those great big issues that all of the parties kind of agree on and tiptoe around and stroke their beards knowledgeably and tut, but can't quite come up with the an answer that works for everybody. So this is about the new park and ride. I think we've got, have we got one already at Lakeside or if I made that up? 
Um, I think sometimes at Christmas there's a they put park and ride in at um, at Lakeside, but there is a park well, they, and ride on on the site that this uh, car park is being proposed for. So there's, there's an existing facility there. Um, yes, it's just that what they want to do is um, build a, an eight-story multi-story car park, um, and the 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 indicative plans that they presented um, show basically a building that kind of steps away, so it's not kind of you know one great big rectangle of grey but it's it's kind of stepped in terraces but butts right up against the M275 as if there aren't enough glorious things to look at when you're driving into the city on the M275 um, you get basically that um, with some prettification of some greenery on the on the outside of the building and stuff but um, yeah, yeah I guess it's important at this point to this is a this is kind of the the first go, isn't it? This is the sort of outline. This is the sort of thing that we want to build. Yeah. So this is the, this is the. I mean, it's the second go at the outline planning permission that basically says, "Hey, this is kind of the parameters under which um, we want to operate." And that's an interesting point because that's something that um, that the councillors that were present um, explore, um, and I'll and I'll play that in the in the clips that we've got in a second, is to confirm actually, okay, what is the decision that's before them on that you know that day? What is it they're actually got to consider? So, um, for me, the interesting thing the interesting things to point out were that. Um, firstly, um, they weren't meant to be considering the scale of the development, even though quite clearly the scale of the development is relevant in the sense of, are you saying a development that's two and a half thousand odd cars and over eight stories? Um, but if we say that that is um, that, you know, that we accept the principle of the idea of doing of squeezing that into that site then at some point detail planning permission isn't going to come back with, oh, yeah, actually, we only need 700 spaces, so mm. we're not going to need a multi-story car park. Um, and there were some really, really good interventions and some really good questions uh, from several councillors present. But another big point that was um, that became apparent at the start of the meeting was that none of the cabinet members um, were allowed to vote on this issue. Oh. So, um, so does this mean then that every time Portsmouth City Council brings... An art, uh, basically a development of planning. It's to itself. Anyone on the serving serving on the existing administration cabinet can't vote on it. So, 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 ooh, so let me just get. So, this development is being proposed by PCC. Yep. So, P P PCC asks itself whether it's okay to build a what. And again, bear in mind, I can't see. But from Facebook commentary, I I get the distinct impression this was not aesthetically beautiful in the way that the tricorn was not aesthetically beautiful. Uh, no, and it, to be fair, that's actually a point that was touched on by um, one of the deputations saying that, you know, the tricorn actually in its day won awards for its artistic merit and um it's um it's you know it's it's integrity as a building but because it became bloody useless because um the design was flawed in several ways um it became a massive carbuncle that that then needed to be knocked down as and has since been basically a flat car park down the back of argos um so i think it looks better as the car park if i'm honest if i'm well to be fair i i have to say i actually liked liked the tricorn i liked did the, you i liked i liked the design um, I want to know whatever happened to Mr. Clive. What, the leather emporium? <laughs> you see, you remember. I do. But when uh, I with, say... the orange, with the orange film on the, the window so that the leather, leather didn't fade. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, although when I say leather emporum, I make it sound like something different. Yeah, that so, sounded slightly more mucky odd. and sordid um, than Well, it that's was. just your way of thinking. So, um, anywho, so yeah, so let's go, let's kind of get to some of these quotes. And and to be fair, um, uh, Councillor Matthew Atkins uh, made lots of contribution uh, to these. Um, so I've kind of chopped through a bit of them, um, but um, just to kind of give you a flavour. But one of the things that he brings up is that the existing park and ride has has um, has space for six hundred cars, and has never been a hundred percent full. So why do we suddenly need two thousand six hundred spaces? Mm. Which kind of seems like a logical question to ask, right? Let's play. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and to be fair, it's a pricey old business building an eight-story car park. I mean, I don't build them myself, but I, I can imagine that being much pricier than just having a flat square of land with six hundred spaces on it. I should imagine it is. Um, I mean, of all the things I built in Lego in my time, I don't think a car park was one of them. But let, let's hear a bit of Matt. Justified the number of two and a half thousand um, spaces. Why, why has it grown to that size from the original plan, which said 900 to 1800? So, so why has it grown, and what do we intend to use all these spaces for? Um, I must apologise, by the way, if you can hear a the quality of the sound coming that I've recorded from the live stream from the council's website, it's their sound. It's not for once. It's not something we're doing. So I apologise yep. if that if that bothers anybody. So in terms of, of the first one is kind of a, in terms of what we're deciding today, it says in the report that scale is not one of the things we're deciding today. But we are agreeing an outline permission for an eight-story car park is that correct so there is a sense in which scale is relevant today because you know there's only so small you can make an eight-story car park is that fair it's a fair point isn't it this is going to be to some degree unavoidably if we allow it on this scale a bit of an ugly building isn't it so i'll pause him there but i mean as headline points go <laughs> He, he's pretty much on the money, isn't he? He shoots and he scores, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We'd like you to give permission. Now, 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 you're not judging scale. I just want to remind you this. And you're not judging the size of it. And you're not judging how it looks. But it is going to be an eight-story car park. Um, yeah. Sh surely that's, that's a scale. If, if it was a three-story car park, particularly from a planning perspective, because ultimately, if you are in a two-storey car park, then you're the same height as a house. If you are an eight-storey car park, then you can lean over and have a good look down into everybody's garden. Yeah. it's um, You are in some ways overlooked. Yeah. I mean, if you imagine that, I don't know if you can cast your mind back, Think I'm trying to think of the only multi-storey car park I, I remember, which is being someone that doesn't drive. Um, I don't tend to go in them that often. Um, so I'm thinking, how big is the multi-storey car park at Tesco in downtown? That's four storeys? Five storeys? Oh, uh, the one at um, Creswell, Creswell Street. Street. Um, I would say it's only about four storeys, and I would say similarly the one at that's just on the corner of... of... Um, of where the tricorn was cascades i think is only four stories and the one at gunwharf i want to say is three stories but that's sort of one on the level one on the rise 
and one which is an underground level. Mm. So when you're talking eight stories, that's a big old, big yeah. old building. Yeah, and it's um, and it you know, it, I mean, it's not immediately next to housing, but it is near. Um, it is near housing. I, you know, I can't. I can't say I would. Um, and and the other the other points that were were pointed out later were about. So the proposal would be about twenty four hour operation. So if you're, you know, if you if you live in one of those homes, um, I don't know that. Um, but yeah, let's let's hear a bit more of um, a bit more of Matthew, and I'll try to make sure I I cut it off before before we get to um, Lee Hunt's kind of summing up at, at the end of um, when he kind of calls for basically a, a vote on it seems almost unavoidable by the comments made in the report. I am not happy. So I'll, I'll stop it before we hear kind of Lee saying that he's not happy. But yeah, I mean, so the, this is the other interesting thing is that planning committee is one of those one of those um, perhaps rare, all too rare situations where um, party colours mean nothing um, in the sense that um, actually... The, you know, you, you're not kind of in a situation where councillors are struggling sometimes really insanely gymnastically to justify positions that um, just because they're an administration or an opposition position and mm. therefore they have to stand with it because of the party that they represent. Um, in planning, you, you know, people are, um, the councillors um, are making a decision based on what the, the information that they've seen in front of them. So again, that was an interesting point that what the officers were reminding the councillors was that on one hand, they had to make a decision based on the information that's in front of them, so the plans that were before them. Yep. But on the other hand, what they were also trying to infer as to as an explanation as to why the need for parking spaces has gone from the existing 600 to the 2,700 or whatever it is that this plan kind of calls for is that, well, well hang on, that might be because of um, future use for things like Tipner West um, and for, you know, um, they kind of inferred um, a link to... Um, Helping people avoid the uh, the clean, you know, the upcoming clean air zone, no, the congestion charge, yeah, which which doesn't impact private cars. So, and it's like, well, hang on a minute, you're either judging it on the grounds of basically what's in front of you, or you're judging it on the grounds of something that might actually happen. Because let's be honest, the development of Tipner West may happen in within ten years, or it may never happen. So, yes, yeah, it's, it's one of these ones that's been talked about for so long. And particularly when it comes to green transport, I've got my own personal kind of story, but the uh, the, the famous Gosport Light Railway, as my the first uh, the first house um, that I owned uh, with your lovely sister, in fact, was on the route of the Gosport Light Railway, and that ran and ran for over well over ten years as a we think we might do this until in the end, everyone agreed it was too expensive. It was never going to work. And they all packed up and went home. But, you know, the, these kind of, these green initiatives or, you know, or development, the same as Wellborn over in Fairham, you know, that's been being talked about probably for the best part of 10 years as well. So in the same style that Tipner West may or may not ever come to pass, um, you know, who can tell? So I'm be basing too many decisions on that. Yeah, and, and also, you know, for me, the attractive thing, well, an, an attractive quality of the of the proposed development of Tipner West, and there's many things to criticise it, criticise about it, is the is the is the des, is the design to limit the natural number of cars that can actually gain access to the, the throughout the entire site. Because I went I went to the um I went to the consultation and, and the display, um that talked about basically there's a 
the idea being that there will be a central um, underground car park and you can literally drive into that, but you cannot drive your car around the rest of the estate. Mm. Um, so there's access for emergency vehicles, etc. But otherwise, no, you you will need to get about in, in a different way. And that's why, um, you know, it, it's transport. What about Amazon? Um, well, well, that's see. Interesting, you saying that is one of the one of the things that um, was teased out of the idea, the rationale behind um, behind changing the park and ride centre basically into a transport hub, would be that it would be a place where deliveries come into the city and then be offloaded onto cargo bikes, for example, so they can make the last couple of miles of the journey on a bike or on some form of electrically powered vehicle. It'd be somewhere you could hire. Um, electric bikes from somewhere you could hire you know you could charge your electric vehicle so um so in that respect those kind of ideas seem to be valid although to be fair they weren't really really well sold as a, mm. as a principle as to why behind that but also if i'm i struggle with the concept of driving a car three quarters into the city to then actually make the journey of the last quarter a different way i don't know if i'm just being a bit simple no, I don't think you are, Simon. I think there's there's an element of, uh, you know, if if you are if you own a car, and neither of us do, but you know, I I live in a two car household that my oldest son and my wife drive. You know, it is the ultimate inconvenience, and if you are going somewhere, it, it needs a very persuasive argument for you to take public transport as an alternative. You know, there are. There are some places, and, and I think Gunwharf is a perfect example. You know, I live reasonably close to Cosham Station. It is, you know, it is not difficult, although there are only two trains an hour, to jump on the train and go down to Gunwharf. Unless it's raining, or unless there's more than two of you. In which case, it's then eight quid on the train, or it's three quid for the parking. And you then start to say to yourself, well, you know what, it's, you know, it's raining, you know, we're going to buy some stuff in Gunwolf, we're either going to have to carry it home or let's take the car. And I think that's where I find the drive three quarters of the way and then pick up an alternative. And again, as you know, there's an element of if you choose to ride a bicycle to work, um, then unless you're in a very sedate fashion, you've got to be equipped with the right clothing for bicycling and then you are not really in a fit state to be sat at your desk for the working day you you need to be getting some kind of ablution about yourself to make yourself appropriately pretty and non-pongy in your nature yeah i mean um i i guess though i mean challenging my own position i guess Obviously, as someone that lives in the city, I'm not the target audience, am I? So I, I guess the idea is to is to is to try to discourage people that are driving into the city from driving all the way into the city. So um, you know, maybe that's kind of the you know the rationale and the and logic and the and the point yeah. trying to trying to be made. So um, I get that, but yeah, um, with you know with with cycling, I mean, I I used to cycle to work in Haven um, from Cosham. Um, pleasant and you know lovely cycle along along you know along the cycle path that's you know next to the nature reserve alongside the A27, um, but really only only made possible by the fact that the place that I was going to work at had um, had lots of showers that you could you know basically had showering facilities that you could go into um, and obviously make yourself presentable for for your day at work. Um, obviously, without that, it's not very comfortable and it's not very nice, probably for you, you know, no. for, for everybody. No. But from a perspective of actually the mental health benefits of actually, you know, getting that exercise to get to work, 
and from pure tight-fistedness in my perspective of meaning that I wasn't paying oh, yeah, yeah. to run my shower, um, the roof on the building that I worked at was, was basically heating the water in my shower. For those perspectives, yeah, it's great, but you need to join those things up. And I think it's the integration of our transport plan mm. that seems to be where we struggle. And I don't, I don't, I don't know, maybe I'm kind of naturally predisposed to liking trains but it's almost like ah, oh, it it would almost be a really good idea if there was a train state oh hang on no well there, there, there are the train stations but as i say you know it's that element of look you and i live a couple of minutes walk you know you probably yeah double what my from from a train station but tipner isn't is it that's my that's what i'm trying to say yeah is that and i know there have been many ideas floated over the years about trying to do you know either a monorail or whatever that you know that kind of went up the island monorail kind of did that but again these these are these ideas turn to dust um so yeah so the conclusion basically reading the room um nobody liked it i think their only concerns were with it was that it was too large that it didn't seem to have a purpose that was definable and explained by the need the current needs um it looked horrible um and its location so otherwise they were happy with yeah, it. yeah they, they loved it i mean that was the, what a great thing that is um so apart from the size the shape the color the look the position and the content it was bang on so how did lee sum that up yeah so lee gave them a um well let's hear what lee said i am not happy with this application uh, the, feed, the feeling I get from the committee is that they are not happy with the application and uh, so far as I can see that uh, the height, the scale, the massing uh, of this particular um, proposal uh, which could become an overwhelming ed edifice at the side of the um, motorway dominating the surrounding homes outweighs the economic benefits as described in the report and therefore I'm going to propose the application in its current form is not acceptable due to the height scale and massing and its impact on the surrounding residential homes and uh, other assets were described by Celia Clark earlier. So yeah basically um, we like it except for <laughs> Everything. <laughs> now, doesn't there have to be a bit of a closed-door conversation after that? Because I was only thinking about this as we, as we went through. PCC was presenting a proposal to PCC. Well, You'd like to think that there was a bit of a conversation before we paid people chunks of money and spent a lot of time preparing the formal report. Because it wasn't like we were niggling on points of nuance. Do you know what I mean? It wasn't like, oh, is that 5% too big? Is that, is it? It, was like, it was like they unveiled it with a ta-da and the whole room just went, eh? It, it's, it, I mean, obviously, I don't, I don't know how the conversations with the officers go, but it, yeah. it, it almost like seemed to me of, and this is, bearing in mind, this is the second time this is this has kind of come, come before the committee. It almost kind of seems to me like, Someone really didn't read the brief. Did no, they? no. Um, and and <laughs> you know, I, or, or they got so far and went, oh, do you think they'll notice? Oh, God, we'll give it yeah. a punt. Do you, th do you think they'll notice? Oh, and and and, and Councillor Cal Corkery kind of pointed out, if, you know, if you're trying to say that this is a, um, this is some sort of new mystical uh, transport hub solution, your indicative plans, and admittedly they're indicative, don't show any 
any um any perspective of, of where you would fit in cycle lane access in order to allow yeah. all of these people to cycle to and from this location that you're now saying well, that they're going to drive to and cycle from. And again, look, I, uh, my, my, I don't know exactly where it is, but if it's alongside the M275, mm -hmm. then uh, my memory is that there is the, yes, you can, there's sort of a bit of cycly lane, but then you reach, is it the mile end roundabout of death? Where all the M two seven five meets the or that goes across the top and then there's the that big roundabout where all of the stuff comes out of the um the continental ferry port. Um so um it's I mean like a game of frogger on steroids, little cyclists are I gonna mean, be going down in droves. I mean the the cycle lanes around that area, I mean there there's good provision un basically underneath the, the mile end round um the flyover at the mile end at uh, the mile end roundabout so just yeah. outside the ferry port. So the, so there's good uh, there's good provision coming out of there. Then there's some weird bits as you as you negotiate yourself through uh through the continental ferry port. But it and then basically you're you're on the back roads kind of around towards Morrison's and around the back of what used to be Sainsbury's and, and right. kind of into town. So so to be fair, you know, there's th that's probably better than actually most parts of the city, to be really honest. But what's weird yep. is that um if the idea that um that officers were trying to sell to the to the um to the planning committee was this is a transport hub and what we want to be doing is, you know, using this as a drop off location for, you know, active travel, et cetera, et cetera. Um but there's nothing we're not kind of figuring out where we would fit in the connection to the active um to the active travel so from there you can get to um there's a nice cycle lane and walk route that actually goes uh goes alongside the m275 on the western side uh down past horsey horsey island um so yes. it, it you know in that respect it's fine but you but but you're not kind of saying how that bit's going to work. Yeah, but the other thing, Simon, this is this is where I start to sort of it bends my brain a bit. Is at the moment that cycle lane works pretty well, and that's great. But that cycle lane has got a non-full 600 space park and ride on it. Yes, flowing through those cycle lanes. Yes, it's not set up when for, you've got yeah. when you've got two and a half thousand people let's be optimistic and say everyone wants to use it and you've got a mixture of cycles and the levy scooters rattling along going in both ways yeah it's, um, it's not amsterdam is it it's it's uh, no and to be fair that was precisely cal's point so hey now you see this is where it's beautiful isn't it we've talked about the planning sometimes you know being fractious if me and the great cal corkery are on the same page we're good yeah so basically that one was kicked into bind yeah that one that one basically go away do do it again so it was the equivalent of taking your hurried homework that you've done at the last five minutes before the <laughs> lesson um and the teacher saying no go away and do it again yeah um, do it properly so so that was so that was that was how that one went um and then the so the other things that we wanted to cover was, um, and there were a variety of HMOs. So HMOs, so houses of multiple occupation. So in among the things on the agenda um, were were three HMOs, two in Shadwell Road, two right next to each other in Shadwell Road, uh, and one in the next road, Ofer Road. Um, and um, so um, we're not, you know, we, we'll discuss them kind of all together because there's no point kind of, t uh, you know, discussing mm. them kind of separately. So. The interesting kind of conversation that, that took place there 
was um so this is something that um that that was brought up quite early on in the conversation was that there are rules in place that Portsmouth City Council has in regarding um accepting applications of HMOs and those are that within a 50 meter radius of the proposed HMO um there can the, the dwellings available cannot it, the number hang on the percentage of dwellings available that are HMOs cannot be more than 10%. Yep. The number there can never be uh three HMOs in a row. So you can't yep. get like a you know three houses n- next to each other. Um and you can't have a residential property that's sandwiched between two HMOs. Well that gives a very clear indication that they think for an area or the area which has HMOs in it, they are not a good thing and thus there must be rules limiting them because, you know, by that definition, there there is an implied acceptance that that if you lived between two, your life would not be great. Uh, no, so, um, and again, uh, Councillor Matthew Atkins makes a point about the um, disturbances that are reported from, you know, their their greater propensity to um, to to be um, dwellings from which issues are are reported, but it, it, it I, I guess there it has to be recognised that although there is an argument, obviously that there is a need for that sort of that sort of property, um, that they they actually have a a substantial impact on on their local environment, and if you've got one, that that's obviously having a certain level of effect and also there's the different scales because you know some mm. might be so the ones that were actually before the committee on tuesday the the two in shadwell road one one of which was um a property that's vacant that is currently in uh, split into three flats so the um the idea was basically to renovate the inside and turn it into four uh four um rooms that are on suite um, for an HMO and the, the property next door um, having four um, ensuite um, rooms um, in the HMO whereas the property and that's an existing um, an existing kind of normal family um, form, a three bed house, house normally three bed house um, the property in Ofer Road um, is currently a three bed house um, but to put an extension um, in the so the, the proposal was to basically put an extension into the loft um, and actually have six um, rooms within within that dwelling, um, and there was also some conversation around concerns. And uh, Councillor Rob New speaks to this um, about concerns about actually development is taking place before permission has been granted. All um, oh, right, so uh, the old crack on and um, yeah, we'll see you in court. Yeah, and and, and that was also something that um, that the um, the applicant. Uh, for the Shadwell Road properties, uh, made a point of in 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 their um, submissions was that um, basically, look, we can see that previous uh, previous applications, if they're turned down uh, when they go to appeal, you lose, and basically you get to pay our costs. So, um, which 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 was something that uh, that um, that Councillor Atwell. Um, spoke of basically not really coming across well to a you know to a um a semi judicial um you know committee is that's you know do you do you want to walk into that room and say if you don't say yes I'm gonna sue your ass and win anyway nah. um so yeah it's it's an issue so let's listen to kind of their points yep. um and so again um there's there's a lot of um there, there's a lot of Matthew Atkins 
Um, but um, but I'll intersperse a bit of Matthew Atkins with some Cal Corkery and um, and some Robert New just to just to, just to give Matthew a rest. Mix it up. Yeah. Mix it up. So here's Matthew. The point some of the deputies make about the fact that number 17 is a um, is a uh, sort of supported living accommodation uh, and it's not an HMO. Um, I tend to have sympathy with the idea that um, they have a similar effect uh, and if you were the property sandwiched in between you would feel like they have a similar effect. So yeah so the conversation kind of th th what they're drawing to is that Mm. There's a proposal for two properties next to it. They're separate proposals, so two properties next door to each other in, in Shadwell Road. But the the property to the to the side of one of them is an existing um, is a property that's actually existingly used as, as some form of supported living accommodation. Yeah, fr friend friend of mine friend of mine used to live there. So you know, again, it, it supported living. Now he, you know, some of the tales he he's told me that they do often sometimes have people with you know some challenges living there that's that's part of the the nature of the supported living environment so the whilst it may not technically be an hmo it, it is a group of unrelated individuals living in their own space within a within a single dwelling yeah and i, and I think that's the to be fair that's the point that um, mm. that, that councillor um atkins and um and actually councillor hunt both, both kind of made is that um, you know, obviously, um, a supported accommodation is a good thing because it's good that, that people Absolutely. can have support. Um, you also need to recognise the impact on the surrounding area so that, um, you know, so, so that there isn't an overburdening of, of local amenity. Um, and, um, and I think he goes on to, to, um, to say that. I've got this clip. The, the immediate impact of an HMO is um, in an increase in coming and going potential increase in rubbish. Parking is a somewhat separate issue, but related to amenity and possibly noise. And it does say in the report that HMOs tend to generate about 10% of complaints, whereas your average property only generates sort of 1% of complaints um, around it. So they do generate more complaints, they do generate more, um, more difficulty. So um, we could talk about the immunity of the HMOs directly just on their own. And, and is that what you're saying we should do? Um, what I'm suggesting is that a supported living accommodation likely generates more coming and going, more traffic, potentially generates more parking, potentially generates more rubbish and waste. So doesn't it generate all the same immunity impacts the HMO generates? So, yeah, so he's making that point yep. that, you know, um, regardless of classification, you've got to look at the amenity and, communi and community impact of, of that coming and going. And the other thing to point out is that Although the properties in Shadwell Road were four uh, were four bedrooms, and the plans say about they're designed for single occupancy, um, the the actual planning application that they were discussing talks about them being suitable for six person a total a maximum of six person occupation. Um, you know, so you know, let's be realistic. Who is going to be checking to make sure yep. that there aren't two people in one room? And that's a and that's a you know a reasonable question. Yeah. Um, Cal goes on to make a point that in um, I think it was the uh, the application for number thirteen that there's actually a, a study which is uh, really nice to see. Um, but he makes the point of what happens if if that's actually, that's converted into into yet another room. I'm interested in the layout of the property. So clearly the floor pans show six bedrooms um, in addition to a communal space. Um, and then also a study 
So the study is something that I'd like to ask a question about. Clearly that could be of positive benefit to residents, particularly with more and more people working from home or working flexibly if there is a, a workspace available within that property. However, I guess the cynic in me wonders how far down the line does that study turn into another bedroom. So my question, I guess, is what are the planning implications of that? Uh, is there any benefit to the developer of just applying for the plan permission as it is at this stage, rather than applying for a kind of seven beds um, HMO, which would cover that study being used as a bedroom? So, you know, mm. again, and, and cows. No, uh Cal makes a very valid point because ultimately when you look at the law surrounding HMO, once a property hits a certain threshold, then the landlord is obliged to provide more amenities. Mm -hmm. And I can't remember where the cutoff point is. Um, and I think it's about four people. So, you know, they, they supply one cooker. Ultimately, if it goes above four, I think they have to supply two and they have to supply two separate fridges. And, yeah. and ultimately, it means that that kitchen space has to be much bigger yeah you know so so i think cows cows picked up a whiff of cynicism there because if i'm correct if it's approved as a four bed and just secretly in the dead of night the study turns into a fifth bedroom um yes they would be in violation of planning regulations but who's going to go back and check yeah um and um interestingly you make the point about um white goods in, um, in the um, when they got into the detail of the of the of the application for Ofa Road, um, their their concern was actually looking on the indicative, on the, indic the indicative plans. Um, that's a you know a six room development, mm. um, facilitated by um, a an extension on the ground floor to basically create a live uh, a dining and lounge space um, that comes that comes off the kitchen. Um, but also by actually going into the loft and, and, and putting two you know two rooms up there with it with a dormer, um, so but that development, the example shown on it on its plans um, was a galley kitchen that, to be really honest with you, didn't seem to have actually much more surface area than my two bedroom flats kitchen does, um, with two cookers kind of side by side. But you wouldn't have the ability to get and and again this was this was a point I, I think it was that Cal made later on is that you wouldn't in order to get to the dining and lounge area if someone was cooking and bearing in mind it's a six room household yep if someone was cooking you couldn't without asking them to get out of the way i mean if someone had the oven open you couldn't get past if you know i just i i, I don't even know how you would schedule people preparing their uh, you know preparing yeah, their six, meals. six meals being prepared simultaneously and i think the the issue for me simon when we look at these hmos you know there is a the, it comes back to the challenge around housing you know if you look at a two-bedroom flat in portsmouth you know they sort of start at about 700 pound per calendar month um you know hmos they're renting these rooms out for about 500 550 pounds a month so if you looked at that offer road development if you were renting that out as a three-bedroom house in you know in Portsmouth you'd be looking maybe 13 1400 pounds a month a month in rent if, if you're renting that out as a fully occupied HMO that's bringing you in over three thousand you know three to three and a half thousand pounds a month in rent and yes the upkeep is 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 more significant with multiple people living there but 
cynically, it's a very cynical way to turn a three-bedroom property into a very lucrative cash cow. Yeah, I can't think why why people would do it. Um, it's not for, from the good of their heart to ease the challenges on housing. Um, no. It is, it is effectively, and God, this is awful, isn't it? It, it, it is cynically suggesting you know it's basically putting a gun to people's heads to say well you've got to live somewhere and you can't afford to live anywhere you want to live so you know if you are on your own you've got to live somewhere like this yeah so well supply and demand isn't it and there's all of the demand and and none of the supply so it doesn't Mm. really make the person buying or renting um in a in a strong position so they're not getting a really good deal out of it their neighbors aren't getting a really good deal out of it um, and it, so one of the one of the other um, ludicrous things in the in the suggestions was that in order to um, ameliorate any any problems with parking, because apparently that couldn't be considered. But anyway, to to address any issues with parking, because there's a, a there were four um, that you know there were at least four um, room properties in the proposal. So the idea would be that there would be um, spaces for for uh, for basically for bike bicycle parking. Um, put out the back. Um, now, bearing in mind these are terraced houses that don't have oh, yeah, rear, yeah. rear garden access. Um, on you know, on on one of them, you'd literally be running a slalom through that kitchen, um, in order to get your bike out into the back garden. So it's just it's just a, it's, it's just, tokenism, isn't it's, it? It's just yeah. A, oh look, a green bit. Yeah, look, there's oh, a green oh, thing here. Yeah, I've given bikes. So that's. That's just kind of seemed. Come on, let, let's be honest. I mean, I remember when I back when I were a lad, back back when you know when we were kind of you know late teens or early early twenties. You'd see lots of developments around the city where people would take existing family homes and split them into two flats. You know, an, up, an yep. upstairs flat and a downstairs flat. But it seems that what's happened over the last five to ten years is that that trend has basically gone. Well, if we can split them once, we can split them. We can. What's the mitosis we can do? We can just keep. We can just keep dividing the cell. Um, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I. I. I just worry that the the renters obviously aren't in a strong position to be. You know, there's obviously a demand for it. The fact that there's a demand for it means that the renters aren't in a strong position. Um, the communities aren't very. It doesn't seem that they're really kind of heavily protected. Um, from existing, you know, existing legislation. Um, the the points that kind of went on um, that Rob New went on to make about concerns that for one of the properties, um, neighbours had reported that they'd seen lots of building activity going on. Um, so um, he he made he made this point, but then the officers responded. So I'll I'll play his point and then yep. then talk through their response. When I raised the question about whether this actually is. Um, a retrospective application. I believe it is. I think they've already started the development work and, and so perhaps you can advise us on this because I know that in the past, uh, Chair, when we've both sat on committee together, we've taken a bit of a dim view where people have actually started the development without permission. I think it sets a bad precedent if that's the case. And I've just done a, a brief um, search because I know that this issue has been raised in the community recently. There are photos dated the 19th of April showing large amounts of building materials outside the property. Um, Something's not adding up here, but what is the legal position of people actually starting developments without the actual permission, which I believe has possibly taken place here? So um, what the officer goes on to explain is that this isn't retrospective because um, 
what the applicant has said is that the the development that is currently undergoing is the is the um is the extension on the ground floor which is covered under permitted development yes um obviously whether or not that is really the case or whether if you went and looked inside it you'd actually see it already divided into the rooms that you're that, that are on the plan is obviously you know, for but the, it's, it's a, a moot point, yeah. but it's also, and again, this is where, for me, you know, the developer, the developer is obviously confident that they're going to win in the end. And there is nothing within planning kind of law that says that they can't turn it into a theoretical HMO, um, provided nobody's living there. They can spend as much money as they want developing it. Yeah. But they'll never, you know, they're just not allowed to, yeah. to, to, you know, put it out for people to lease. So yeah, so it's so yeah, it's the and that was actually one of the points that um, the officer made was that the issue is the point at which it becomes occupied. Mm. Not, oh, absolutely. Not when you make now, the development. So yeah, it's the it it yeah. I it, it, I don't know. There's this. It seems to me that there's 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 a competing set of needs being played off against each other here. Um, uh, and it seems that you know one side seems to be better armed than the other. If I'm honest. So how did this one end, Simon? So the the two in Shadwell Road, uh, basically they deferred those in order to um, understand more fully what was happening in the adjacent property, which is being used for supported living, to to understand yep. kind of what that was that what was happening there. Um, and the, um, the 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 one in Ofer Road uh, was was refused on the grounds that basically the the, the plan wasn't wasn't um, substan you know wasn't wasn't adequate wasn't workable. Um, so it, it, it's an so obviously there, there are guidelines about room sizes um, and guidelines about actually how much the communal, how much communal space there needs to be. And that's different if the, so you need to give less communal space if the room sizes are more than 10 square meters, which in all of these developments they were. Um, but also another thing that Councillor um, Atkins pointed out was that if you're, if your communal space, like your lounge and diner, are together the requirement of space is actually i'm trying to get this the right way around um the require the guidelines are require a larger amount of space than actually if you had two separate rooms and you provided those rooms separately there was like a wow. 10 a 10 square meter difference. so it seems that to be honest there's a lots of anonymous anom anomalies <laughs> yep. if i could say that um in the planning regulations surrounding this um so it kind of comes back to it seems like this is a bit of a wild west, and, mm. um, and maybe that's what Cow's on about when he talks about needing licensing for this sort of thing. And, and HMOs, I believe, do need licensing, but there is an element, and I think this is where, for me, it's pretty clear. Um, you know, in a in a crowded city like Portsmouth, the the HMO is the answer for nobody other than the developer. You know, the the only person who wins in this is the developer. Um, you know, the council suffers because you've got a higher density of people living there. The residents suffer for the same reason. The environment suffers because of the, you know, everybody loses except the developer. So, you know, and, and it, it will be interesting because obviously Team Shadwell Road are pretty bullish. You know, they've been deferred. Well, they're not going to get, but if they get rejected, and let's hope they do, the key, and we'll follow this one through, is to see whether they just march off to that next level who does what they say they think will happen, which waves it through without 
challenge and gets PCC to pay their legal fees. So um, fingers crossed that doesn't happen, purely from the point of view of, as I think Matthew Atkins said, the arrogance of just sticking your jaw out and going, yeah, come on, what are you going to do about it then, sweetheart? Um, shouldn't allow you to win that particular fight. And um, and before we move on to our um, to our other segment, um, Scott Peter Harris in the comments is saying licensing HMOs uh, dominated housing portfolio meetings for the last two years. If you want mm. to read up on it, so it it, it sounds yeah, thank you, um, Scott. It sounds you know it's there's lots of detail there, but it seems that the fr- the frustration, perhaps both for communities, for officers, for councillors, um, and actually even for developers, is that. The mechanism doesn't, you know, as you say, it doesn't seem to be working to give to give a a rapid, solid answer. But it also seems to be a system that's being gamed by some developers. They know that if they play their chances, they can, you know, they can end up basically getting their own bloody way. They win in the end. Yeah. So, <clears throat> so moving on. Um, talking Batley of, and talk, Spen. Talking of getting your own way, Batley and Spen. So, um, it narrowly Labour narrowly retained. Um, retains the by-election, um, 323, uh, 300, a majority of 323 um, votes. Um, the media had pretty much tipped that the Tories were going to were going to topple Labour, that they were having a really bad time in the constituency. Um, it's a constituency that um, that sadly has had, um, for horrific reasons, has, has had uh, two by-elections um, in a, in a relatively short amount of years. Um, obviously, because of the the murder of Joe Cox. Um, but most recently, because um, because this is where I um, rem- uh, get the it was Tracy Tracy Brabin um, won a um, won as as a regional mayor, so she um, she stood down as MP. Um, so that's why the by election was taking place. So sixteen different people on the ballot paper. Yes. No. And and again, this is a fascinating one because I saw that there was a by-election in Butley and Spen. And even though, you know, we had recent, the, the Conservatives had recently a very good time in the North and particularly, you know, Butley and Spen was about as safe a Labour seat as it could be. Now, in the previous one that Labour made a complete horlicks of, they put up a massively strong Remainer in a Brexit mad um, constituency. You know, this time it was the sister of Joe Cox that was standing. And I looked at that and I just, you know, I shrugged gallically, as it were, even though we're out of the EU, I can still do that. Um, and basically said, look, you know, that that one, you know, we may as well all not bother. Let's just wave Labour through. But then coming to emerging like a very strange individual out of the night comes George Galloway. Yes. And stands against Labour. Uh yeah, there's um yeah, I I mean we've we've spoken before about the the logic of some people on the left seem to hate other people on the left more than they seem to actually hate the Tories, which seems to serve you lot really well. Um but um yeah he um, him standing um taking twi- nearly 22% of the vote um so very very narrowly did gift the ward the ward sorry the constituency to um to the tory party yeah, indeed and I, I saw you know i read a little bit around and it very very unsavory campaign i mean galloway has history but um you know in a in a 
constituency that you know that does have um you know a, a, a lot of you know different ethnicities there and faiths and and it just seemed like we were you know trying to turn communities against communities it really was very ugly to watch uh, yeah, I mean, the, the reports that I saw in the media were were about um, Kim Ledbetter, so the, the Labour candidate and obviously now MP, uh, being harassed in the streets um, by um, extremists of, of polit- uh, particular communities. Um, and yeah, just just this sheer. I mean, you know, we know that we know that elections are always competitive. We know that they're usually em- emotionally and, and energetically charged. Um, and by-elections are always, um, to be honest, they're usually things that parties actually throw the kitchen sink. Well, I think it was it one of the members of the Tory press that said about the um, Cheshire and Amersham by-election that the Lib Dems chucked the, the dog, the cat, the kitchen sink, the microwave, the oven and the cooker um, and the hob at it. Um, so, yeah, you, you can kind of... Um, there's always that, that tension, but that ten- you know, there's no excuse for that tension turning into... Um, harassment or, or assault um, uh, of of any candidate. Um, no. That's that's just you know that's that's not that's not how a democracy works, and that's not how we should you know how we should seek to operate. But it, um, George Galloway came away from the count um, basically decrying that it um, that basically it was invalid and that he's um, contesting it on the grounds that um, well he seemed to be contesting that there should be a recount, but also contesting the fact that he was unhappy that the posters that his supporters had put up on lampposts in the constituency that the council had taken them down a couple of days before um, before the election. Now, I, I'm not aware of any dispensation that allows political parties to put up um, political um, political material on a, on a lamppost or on council property because my I'm understanding... Not being funny, if you did think there was, you'd be shinning up lampposts like a man possessed over the last year. Um <laughs> maybe not so much i'll get i'll get someone younger and fitter to do that yeah, yeah. um but yeah um i i you know i i would have thought if i'm really honest that actually you can't display political material on council premises or council property because the council itself has to be you know the council as an organization i'm not talking about the councillors i'm talking about yeah. the the council itself as an organization has to be apolitical um so yeah i d- i don't kind of I don't kind of see where his whinge comes from in, in that respect. He feels that his posters were taken down from lampposts, but other parties' posters that were on lampposts weren't taken down. Obviously, I've not been there, so so I don't know. But for me, the, the curious thing is that um, of the of the 16 candidates, um, so um, the bottom 12, if you like, um, they took about 8% of the vote. So had they not been there, that could have, you know, that could that possibly have changed the outcome? Oh, most certainly. And that's where, you know, there was talk that, and this is where I find it fascinating, that the Lib Dems shouldn't have run. Well, the Lib Dems shouldn't have run, but you've got a, I'm going to use the word barking lefty loon, that did run and is demanding a recount where the only possible outcome, and it's however slim, would be that Labour loses and the Conservatives win. Then he's not. They're not suddenly going to find seven uh, seven thousand uh, ballots no, ballots for in, Galloway. In, so, in in terms of hacking at your own face with a blunt instrument to to show it the way for it, it is it's insanity. I find the whole thing lunacy. I think the one thing we can agree on as a fantastic outcome is that the five 
ultra right wing nonsense candidates got an embarrassing number of votes each and all lost their deposits. That that made me very happy. Yeah, to me to me that's um that that is good news. Um to to return on your point about um because obviously to, to some observers the Lib Dems shouldn't shouldn't have stood possibly in the same way that some observ- observers um said that the Labour Party shouldn't have stood in Cosham um, in Chesham and Amersham. Um in, in you know in regards to Batley and Spen had the Lib Dems not stood um, those, uh, you know, and to be fair, it was only 3.3% of the vote, so 1,254 um, votes. Yeah, um, let's not kid ourselves. Political parties don't own those votes. They aren't theirs to redis- redispense at whim and to, yeah. oh, um, yeah, we'll we'll gift our votes to, to, you know, to you or, you know, to this party or to that party. That's not what happens. The votes belong to the electorate and the electorate, there's no way of telling whether the electorate the members of the electorate that voted Lib Dem would have stayed at home, would have voted Labour or would have voted Conservative or, you know, or would have voted for any of the myriad of others. I mean, they could have, you know, rolled a, they could have got out one of the D&D um, um, dice. Good reference. Got out a die. Uh, got a, you know, not so much a D20. Is that, was there a D16? I think there was. No, got there wasn't. I don't think it was. I don't think it was a 16. Mm. I think you could have run with two D8s. Perhaps. So, yeah. So, it, it, Either either way, um, you know, just removing one political party, and and it's not the same situation in in all constituencies because that's the other thing to kind of chew over is if your mission is to get the Tories out of power and to topple the Tories, which if I'm you know I could be really honest that that I would consider a priority, um, then you know you 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 look at who is the most non who is the most likely to win progressive non-Tory party in that constituency and you put all of your energy but you know whether you stand a candidate or not because there yep. are some constitutional things for different parties about whether they whether they, whether they can't be in a situation where they don't stand a candidate at all but they can literally put someone on the ballot paper chuck out a few leaflets and and you know they they're showing up for the you know mm. for the effect of basically saying to their supporters you know giving giving the electorate the choice which again is is the important thing uh, again but first past the posts kind of gets um you could use different words but it forces us all to be mercenaries but i think a, a good result but a really close run thing and it um there was some really you know, really really nasty stuff uh, and i and i hope that george galloway doesn't get his way that there isn't um a rerun of the election yep. um and at the end of the day but let's be honest um although some of the media would have been were saying oh well this is this is curtains for curtains for starmer um, you know, if if he if he loses Batley and Spen, it will be time for him to him, him to walk the the, the short plank. Um, well, I I genuinely think had he have lost that, I think his position would would have looked pretty untenable, because there's an element of let's face it, he wouldn't have lost to the Tories, even though we would have won the seat. He would have lost to the left wing of the Labour Party slash socialist movement. And I think his position would have been very difficult. And, you know, a week's a long time in politics and he came out swinging, you know, this is the start of the change for Labour. This is us taking back control of the North or whatever it was he said. But he was very bullish and very kind of, as everybody is uh, whenever a by-election result happens. But Oh, really? A three hundred and twenty vote win in Butley and Spen. Uh, that's a, 
a, I don't think it's a win. Yes, it all wins. You know, it's like fried chicken, isn't it? There's no such thing as bad fried chicken. Even bad fried chicken is good. So it's a result in that way. But well, I've definitely experienced bad fried chicken. So um, um, yeah, I it get, was still I... fried chicken, wasn't it? But my point is that you know it wasn't it wasn't a convincing win from a conservative perspective. It wasn't a spectacular over to you know it was a loss but it was a kind of narrow loss the lib dems can shrug and say well we were never really interested anyway um and i don't think it changes the landscape at all does it well yeah to be really honest what's the first rule of politics learn to count you know at the end of the day um what do these two constituencies do to you know to dent an 80 seat majority not a lot. Down, to, down to 78 in that yeah so um so in that respect yes it's it's um it's good news it's in the right direction but it does to me it proves the point that um not necessarily a, a you know because we won't use the c word the coalition word but some sort of electoral pact of non-compete um from the progressive parties so you know from from the greens from labor from lib dems um, and uh, from the SNP in Scotland might be the only way that actually anybody stands a chance of getting the Tories out of power at the next general election, whenever the hell that might be. Indeed, yes, but um, let's hope that sort of dreadful, that sort of dreadful scheming and uh, plotting doesn't go on and we have good, honest and open British politics, as is the way. Have you seen the Tory government? Cut your noise, you whinger. You've been listening to the Pompey Politics Podcast. I've been Simon Sansbury. I've been Ian Tiny Morris. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Pompey Politics Podcast. If you want to make sure you get notifications about upcoming shows, and get to know when we're live. We normally broadcast live 6.27pm on a Sunday evening. Then follow us on Facebook at Pompey Politics Podcast. You can also follow us on Twitter at Pompey Politics One. Please, if you'd like to, feel free to leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. And you can even ask Alexa to play the podcast for you. Alexa, play the latest episode of the Pompey Politics Podcast. Getting Pompey Politics Podcast from Amazon Music. Alexa, the latest episode. Stop. See? It's easy.